Section 19 of The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Fatima da Silva. The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland. The Fit of Elsie's Shoe, Chapter 4 Four years passed away, and Jamie and Mary had grown accustomed to their improved circumstances, Lady Betty having proved as good as her word in bestowing on them all those benefits which she had enumerated when coaxing Elsie away with her. Whether they were quite satisfied with the freak that fortune had played with them, they themselves knew best. When a neighbour went in to see them, Mary had always some grand talk about my daughter Miss McQuillan, but the widow Devnish often shook her head, saying that they were dull enough when nobody was by, and feared Elsie had forgotten them. Ned Mucklehurn and Mahaffey, the miller, had each consoled himself with the wife long ago. Hughie Devnish still taught his school, and his mother still called him in to his supper of evenings, but he was not the same Hughie, the widow vowed, never since the night of Lady Betty's ball, when he had taken the strange whim of going serving at the castle. That someone had put a charm on him that night, from the effects of which he had never recovered, was the widow Devnish's firm belief. He was as grave as a judge, she said, from morning till night, all wrapped up in the improvement of his school, never would go to a dance or a fair like other young men, and, say what she might to him, would admit no thought of taking a wife, though his means would allow of it now, since he had got some tuitions among the gentry folks of the neighbourhood. The widow Devnish was very proud of her son, but she was sorely afraid there was something on him. For strangest of all, once, when she came into his schoolroom at dusk, unnoticed, she saw him looking at a little kid shoe, with long silken sandals hanging from it. She'll forget, he was saying, as he turned it about and wound the sandals round it. Of course, of course, she'll forget. All this time, while things had been going on so, with these vulgar and insignificant folks at home, neither Elsie nor Lady Betty had been seen at Castle Craigie. Lady Betty surrounded her protégé with French, Italian, drawing and music masters. But with these had Elsie concerned herself but little. Hughie Devonish could never teach me, she would say, coolly when they were ready to wring their hands with vexation. And I don't think it's likely you're any cleverer than him. However, there were some things that Elsie did learn in time. Being observant and imitative, she acquired a habit of speaking tolerable French, and when talking English, she modified, though she did not by any means give up her brogue. She very soon learnt to flirt a fan, to carry her handsome gowns with ease, and to develop certain original graces of manner, 
which were considered by many to be very charming in the pretty heiress to lady betty's indian thousands altogether the patroness found herself obliged to be content though the young lady could read neither french nor italian nor yet could she play on the spinet or guitar ailsie's education being thus finished lady betty set her heart on an ambitious marriage for her favorite she introduced her to society in paris and saw her making conquests right and left at the most fashionable watering places on the continent elsie's sparkling eyes were enchantingly foiled by her diamonds and proposals in plenty were laid at her feet but elsie though enjoying right merrily the homage so freely paid her only laughed at the offers of marriage as though it were quite impossible to regard them as anything but so many very capital jokes lady betty did not join in this view of the matter but she had patience with her heiress for a considerable time as elsie always mollified her displeasure by saying on her refusal of each good match i will marry a better man still lady betty after four years lady betty who was a wilful old lady and whose patience was exhausted quarrelled with her about it and before she recovered her temper she took ill and died and elsie found herself one day sad and solitary in paris without the protection of her kind indulgent friend tears would not mend the matter now nor would they alter the will which lady betty had left behind her the conditions of which were fair enough said elsie's suitors when the contents of the important document became known one year had the impatient old lady given her chosen heiress in the space of which time to become a wife and if at the end of that year she was still found to be a spinster not a penny had she but might go back to the cottage at the top of the lonan and take with her her father and mother to work for them as before to milk her cows and feed her hens and persuade herself if she liked that her wit and her diamonds and her beauty and her lovers had all had their existence in a tantalizing dream which had visited her between roosting time in the evening and cockcrow of a churning morning but should she marry before the year was out bestowing on her husband the name of mcquillan then would the shade of lady betty be appeased and the indian thousands and the irish rentals together with the old ancestral halls of castle craigie would all belong to elsie and the fortunate possessor of her wealthy little hand very fair conditions said the suitors and proposals poured in on elsie but lo and behold the flinty-hearted damsel proved as obstinate as ever and in the midst of wonderment and disappointment having attained the age of twenty-one and being altogether her own mistress she wrote to her retainers at castle craigie to announce her arrival there upon a certain summer day great was the glory of mary mcquillan when she received a letter from her daughter desiring that her father and mother should at once take up their abode at the castle being there to receive her on her arrival great indeed was her triumph when miss o'trimmins sat making her a gown 
of brown velvet and a lace cap with lappets in which to meet her child and when jamie's blue coat with the bright gold buttons came home elsie brought a whole horde of foreigners with her brilliant ladies of rank who called her pet and darling in broken english and needy marquises and counts with slender means who were nevertheless very magnificent persons and still hoped to win the irish charmer balls plays and sports of all kinds went on at the castle and those of the gentry folks who from curiosity or a better feeling came to visit elsie found her in the midst of a room full of glittering company dressed in a blue satin sack and pearl earrings with her hair dipping into her eyes in very bewitching little curls and seated between mary in the brown velvet and lappets and jamie in the new coat with the buttons they went away saying she was wonderful indeed considering delightfully odd and pretty and they wondered which of those flaunting foreigners she was going to marry in the end meantime the year was flying away and old neighbors of her mother's began to shake their heads over the fire of nights and to say that if elsie did not take care she might be a penniless lass yet things were in this position when one fine morning miss mcquillan driving out with some of her grand friends thought proper to stop at the door of hughy devnish's schoolhouse the schoolmaster turned red and then pale as he saw elsie's feathers coming nodding in to him through the doorway followed by a brilliant party of grandees and two footmen dragging a huge parcel of presents for his girls and boys elsie coolly set her ladies and gentlemen unpacking the parcel and distributing its contents whilst she questioned the schoolmaster upon many subjects with the air of a little duchess whose humour it was to make inquiries and who never certainly had seen that place much less conversed with that person before hughie enjoyed her whim with proud patience till just before she left him on opening his desk to restore a book to its place she demanded to see a certain little dark thing which was peeping out from under some papers then with evident annoyance he produced a little black kid's shoe so the story runs why it's only a slipper said elsie turning it about and looking at it just as the widow devonish had detected hughie in doing what an odd thing to keep a shoe in a desk but it looked like the cover of a book good morning as the party drove off it is said that one of the gentlemen remarked that the schoolmaster was a fine-looking intelligent fellow fit for a better station than that which he filled and it is further said that next day elsie made a present to this gentleman of a snuff-box worth a hundred guineas when elsie went to her room on her return home on this august afternoon she walked over to a handsome gold casket which stood upon her table unlocked it and took out a little kid slipper which looked as if she must have stolen it out of hughie's desk in the sole of it was pinned a slip of paper on which were scrawled in a crude hand the words if i ever forget you hughie devnish to marry a fine gentleman 
May the Lord turn my grand gowns into rags again, and the bit that I ate into sand in my mouth. And the Lord's going to do it very fast, said Elsie, falling back into her old way of talking, as she looked at this specimen of her old way of writing. If I do not look to it very soon and be keeping my word, and God knows, Hughie Devonish, she added, as she locked her box again with a sharp snap. You're more of a gentleman any day the sun rises on you than ever poor Elsie'll be a lady. And I am given to understand that shortly after this, the lady of the castle sent a message to her guests to say that she was indisposed. Elsie had picked up a few pretty words from the heat and must beg them to excuse her absence from amongst them for the rest of the day. It was on this very evening that Hughie Devnish was walking up and down his schoolroom floor, musing, I am told, on the impossibility of his enduring in the future to have Elsie coming into his school at any hour she pleased to play the mischief with his feelings and the lady patroness amongst his boys and girls. He had just come to the point of resolving to give up his labours here and to go off to seek his fortune in America when click went the latch of the door. And of course, thinks he, it must be a dream. In walked Elsie. Not the lady bountiful of the morning, in satin gown and nodding feathers, but the veritable old Elsie, four years ago, in the same old garb, cotton dress, brogues, straw bonnet, tipped over her nose, and all, where on earth did she get them, in which she had tripped in to him on that other August evening, of which this was the anniversary, when she had shown him her invitation to Lady Betty's ball. Now, the glooming was just putting out the glare of the sunset behind the latticed windows, and when Hughie had pinched himself and found that he was not dreaming at all, he next became very sure that he had gone out of his senses with trouble, and that he was looking at an object conjured up before his eyes by his own diseased imagination. However, the apparition looked very substantial as it approached, and sitting down on the end of one of the forms, it displayed a paper which it unfolded in its hands. Hands that were white instead of brown, making the only difference between this and the old Elsie. I've got a letter here, Mr. Devonish, said Elsie's old voice, speaking with Elsie's old brogue, and in the sly mischievous tone that Huey remembered well. And if he please, I want he to answer it for me. I'm a bad dark myself, you know. Not knowing what to say to her, he took the letter out of her hand and glanced over it. It was a proposal of marriage from Elsie's old tormentor. McQuillan of the Reek. The schoolmaster was trembling, you may believe, with many confused ideas and sensations when he folded the letter and returned it. But he inked his pen manfully and produced a sheet of paper, then sat waiting with much patience for his visitor's dictation. But Elsie sat quiet with her eyes upon the floor, and so there was a cruel pause. Well, says Hughie at last, with a bewitched feeling, as if he were addressing only his pupil of old days. What am I to say in the answer? 
Faith, I don't know, says Elsie. But what reply do you mean to give? asked Huey, striving, we are assured, to command himself. Am I to say yes or no in the letter? I tell ye, I don't know, Huey Devonish, said Elsie crossly. I gave a promise to another, and he never has freed me from it yet. I believe he'll know best what to put in the letter yourself. Elsie, cried Huey, rising to his feet. Did you come here for nothing but to drive me mad? Or, Avernine, is it possible you would marry me yet? Faith it is, Huey, said Elsie. And after the letter was written, they went in and had tea with the widow Devonish. The next morning Miss McQuillan appeared amongst her guests as if nothing had happened, but before night a whisper flew from year to year that the heiress was engaged, while the lady herself did not contradict the report. Every man looked darkly at his neighbour and, Who is he? was the question on every lip. At last, It is not I, said one noble drone, and flew off to seek honey elsewhere. And it is not I, said the others one by one and followed his example and by and by elsie was left peacefully in possession of her castle whereupon there was a quiet wedding at which mary jamie and the widow devonish were the only guests a nine days wonder expires on the tenth and after a few years hugh devonish mcquillan esq was looked upon as no despicable person by many who thought it their duty to sneer on his wedding day. End of The Fit of Elsie Shoe